This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The gift of a medium such as dancing, tango in particular, is that one can learn parameters of safe and sensual touch within precise, structural, socially sanctioned guidelines. This learning includes differentiating between sensual touch and sexual touch. One is able to experience at a visceral level what it feels like to be close in a supportive, sensual engagement without misinterpreting the contact or intent as sexual. In a society that is touch-starved, with a deep need for physical connection but with few models other than unhealthy ones, this learning is to be treasured. It probably took me close to five years to be convinced that the close embrace which includes a woman putting her chest against mine was not a sexual overture. It does, however, communicate trust, responsiveness, and presence. As do many other variables, including hand placement on the back, cheek to cheek. Yes, these may indicate affection, but only within the context of the dance. Trauma therapists emphasize the need for somatic experience as the basis for healing. Memories are stored in the body and the body needs to displace the negative experiences with a relearning and positive ones. Work needs to be body-based. At the same time, the journey does not end with dissipating the trauma, but with displacing the perverted experience of abuse with an expansive, healthy understanding and awareness of the layers and nuances to intimate, nurturing, sensual self-expression and consensual touch, subject to subject. In fact, it is because tango straddles the razor-thin edge between sexualizing and sensualizing that every dancer is confronted with a choice between lapsing into cultural patterns of seduction and dominance or sharing the power in creative expression. As a lead, I am continually listening to the responsiveness of my partner and fashioning my dance and lead accordingly. I sense her timing, her interest in certain moves, her emotional investment in the dance, her interest in embellishments. The fabulous learning goes far beyond the dance floor. I learn how to be comfortable around others in all sorts of settings. My learning in tango has taught me first to be comfortable with physical contact, but more so into it who is comfortable or not so with, says Aidan Dunnigan Vickrook. Valeria interviews Aidan on healing, sensuality, and spirituality. Aidan Dunnigan Vickrook is a former Lutheran minister with a master's degree in theology. He has been tango dancing for 18 years, currently hosts and teaches at a weekly milonga. Aidan is the author of Trauma to Tango, Dancing Through the Shadows of Sexual Abuse. A weekly blogger at www.dancingwithpresence.com, exploring the connection between sensuality and spirituality, dance, and divine presence. He is in the process of writing a book on the nature of consent, focusing on the anatomy of connection, how to become aware of, in our bodies, the feeling of being in deep connection with another. Aidan Dunnigan Vickrook lives in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He is a mental health social worker and married of 25 years with accumulated lineage of eight children and 18 grandchildren. Here is the interview with Aidan Dunnigan Vickrook. 
Welcome back, Aidan Dunigan Vikrak. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here again. Yeah, it has been like almost, a, it has been a year, I think, or almost a year since we talked. Okay, okay. And, and you have done so much <laughs> since then. It's just amazing. So congratulations. Yeah, I love this stuff that I do. <laughs> yeah, terrific. So I guess my first question has to be this one. How did Aiden change? Or in your own words, who is Aiden today? You know, I listen to your other guests and I think, oh my God, they've done so much and they know so much and whatever. And um, I I think of myself in terms of what I don't <laughs> know and what I'm learning and what I haven't yet done. So, I, I you know, I thought, uh, what's where's my learning curve these days? That's the way I would I would describe it. And um, I've been doing a lot of ex- exploring about relationships, which is really where my my head and my heart and my my body are these days. So, who am I? I'm about the relationships that I have around me, and and uh, so many. And uh, of course, we miss a whole lot these days. We're just kind of way more aware of of what's important to us, the people that we can't hug, uh, can't right, dance with. Right, <laughs> true. Uh, but anyway, relationships. I'm going to say relationships, uh, Valeria, and I've got a beautiful wife, loving wife, and we've got 18 children <laughs> between us. And uh, no, sorry, we've got 18 grandkids between us uh, and eight children between us. So. And that's a lot of relationships. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and most of them are fantastic. There's a, there's a few that are troublesome, but uh, the rest are wonderful. <laughs> that is really great. I have a few warm-up questions for you before we talk about sex, sensuality, and spirituality. My first question is, what is life? Oh, uh, I, I, well, it's being present, uh, certainly. So, uh, and. And it's it's step by step, every step during the day. Uh, it's it, choices have to be made. You, what you say, where you go, what you do, and and it's all it's all little stuff. But it, you know they're kind of acts of courage. They're acts of love. Uh, when I get out of bed in the morning, uh, okay, you know I'm going to be open today. Am I going to? Be responsive, loving. Am I going to be accepting? Am I going to be invested in my in this moment, in this day? I, that's kind of an idea. I like that. That resonates. Presence, yeah. And that you said these small things. It's uh, not the big things that we usually think about. Yeah, buying a house, getting married, having kids, but it's the small things. I, I love that. What do you think is the opposite of life? I do really give me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like studying for an exam and then having all the, all the other questions right. on it. What's the opposite of living? Uh, it's a dullness, you know. It's uh, more so from the teachers I read, but some, somewhat from my personal experience. Uh, I'm able to see through the moment and uh, experience uh, spirit, divine presence, whatever. And those are the, those are the real times that uh, really make me feel alive. And the rest of the time is kind of slugging through, mm-hmm. and some of it's dull, <laughs> and most <laughs> of the time I'm not aware, but I keep at it, right? And uh, so I'm going to say that. I'm going to throw that out as, as my experience, anyway, of, of what it might be to, to be not alive would be to be not aware, to be dull, to be um, disengaged or distant. Right, right. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Uh, you have some editing to do here, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, my part too, I know. <laughs> freedom. This might be a bit of a head answer, it, but it, it, means, it means living in structure, but struggling within that structure and creating space for yourself within, that, within those, li- those limits with his... You know what? I'm I'm botching this answer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give up on it. I'm not feeling it, so you'll have to move on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely fine. Um, what do you think is the world's greatest need at this time? The one I focus on personally that comes home that resonates for me is uh, men and women learning how to be together. And in a complementary and egalitarian way, shared power, creating together, 
with differences, of course, but uh, that complementarian um, relating uh, where the reason we are in the pro in the in the difficulties we are in today, as I see it, I mean this is the residual from you know five thousand years of male-dominated society that has uh, really repressed feminine input and, and and that balancing. And that's on a political uh, level, certainly, but on a, on a personal or individual level. It's learning to be in relationship in a way that is just so, that is filling, fulfilling, complementary, and, and um, loving. I mean, that's what I see what we need to move into. And maybe we are. Maybe we are. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because that was the first question when I asked you, who are you? And basically you use the word relationship. And now you mention it again as one of the most important thing, just relating to one another regardless of our differences. Uh, and you also mentioned the, the female energies being suppressed for so long. Uh, I guess my next question is about God. I think I asked you before, but I don't remember, so I'd like to ask you again. What, where, and who is God? And I, I've, I've lived with your questions for the last year. <laughs> I thought, wow, I didn't answer that one very well. I think I'm going to do better next time. <laughs> so I, I thought about it. Uh, and uh, it's Easter, I suppose, so... Um, mm -hmm. So maybe it's appropriate to give some some more kind of uh, religious or, or um, Christian connotation. I, I, it's it's not a point of of kind of trying to give definition uh, to God in a way. I mean, it's like uh, Lao Tse Lao Tse Tzu says. Um, when you name something, it's not the thing anymore. <laughs> so, mm, well, that's true. It's how do we. I think how do we engage in this life? So it's my orientation to life and, and how, how I engage it in a way that takes me beyond what I'm doing, who I am in the moment, to, to something bigger, something greater. And uh, so that's the way I see it. I, I, then if, I want to tie it in with, uh, if I cared to tie it in with uh, Christian terminology and, and then seeing the incarnation, which is that the essence of divinity can be seen and experienced in the individual. And uh, so we don't have to be looking out beyond always for something, some great mystery. Uh, I mean, that that's out there and that's something to kind of have a, a vision for. But we start with who we are in this body, on this, on the soil, in the particular time and place with our limitations and... Uh, and that's probably our most immediate experience or awareness of God. That, that's what I would say. Yeah, and I agree 100%. Okay. What do you think is the purpose of your life? Uh, loving and uh, the relationships that I'm in. Uh, I mean, I commit to them. And uh, I can't think of anything more important for me to do during the day or in the coming years and to stay in loving relationships. Uh, and it's it's not easy. And uh, uh, I mean, maybe there are a lot of distractions. I often think I'd like to be a great this or I'd like to do something fantastic uh, somewhere else. Or, but I stay committed first and foremost to the relationship. And if, and if it isn't feeding the relationship, I really have to question whether or not it's uh, it's important. Right. Mostly, mostly my relationship with my wife, of course, but I mean, there's a lot of, I have a lot of other relationships too, so. Right. And speaking of relationships and also staying on the topic of um, spirituality and God, why not? What is the relationship between spirituality and religion? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I hear your, uh, your guests, a lot of them, and, um, and or it, I mean, just this is common par, uh, parlance these days that uh, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, and I've said that too as well. And uh, I used to be maybe very religious, not so spiritual, but I see them together. I see them working together, and I see uh, religion as as being the structure or container, uh, the external. Uh, voice, external wisdom, the traditions, the rituals, and the spirituality is is who we are in in the middle of that or within that. And we we need some 
some direction passed on to us, of course. We need the wisdom of, of sages and, and prophets and people that have come before. I mean, it's silly to think we're, we're going to start, you know, fresh, start uh, totally on our own, start with a blank slate. So all that, all those are, are gifts, their uh, directions, their teachings, um, the rituals are, are amazing and fabulous. But what has happened, I think, is, is the way I see it, is, is that uh, religion uh, claimed to be the absolute and, and ultimate authority and allowed no room for the individual expression or interpretation of it. And so that's, what, that's where we are now. We're, we're, we're saying, wait a minute, I've got my own uh, insights and sense of how this, all this might fit for me or what doesn't fit and what teachings are helpful and which are harmful. And so we're pushing back on an individual level. We're saying, wait a minute, I've got a spirit here that I'm responsible for caring for and expressing, and I don't care if the, if the church says, uh, you know, something like you're all sinners or whatever they want to say. Um, that doesn't fit me. And uh, so uh, keep it. Uh, I'm not taking that on. But there are a lot of things that we that are helpful, and so I'll I'll work with that. So, you know, it's kind of the the question I wouldn't answer before about freedom, but it's this um, it's this pushback thing, uh, uh, but it's pushing back. So it's like a, a butterfly in a cocoon, uh, as it's as it's um, coming out of its uh, cocoon. It's that struggle. It's that push. It's the strength that you, you gain when you. Uh, you try to create that space for yourself, and you know, eventually they break free. They have a, they get to fly, and it's this wonderful freedom. And then they go back into the cocoon and the larva and the death and the rebirth cycle again, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it changes. And it does, yeah. And one of the things that uh, we expect, in a way, to change is the next subject we'll be talking about now, which is uh, sexual and spiritual abuse. Which is interesting. I never heard it that way. The way you wrote spiritual abuse. I never heard of that term. So I have two questions for you. One is why do you think sexual abuse happens in religious institutions? And second, why are you intrigued by the story of Jean Varnier? Thanks for asking. Why does it happen? Uh, well, because we don't have a good model of what it means to be uh, sexual beings, how to, how to express that, how to inhabit in relationships that are um, mutually um, affirming and, uh, and healthy. And so particularly in the church, um, I mean, when they all, when you're supposed to uh, commit your life to um, celibacy, well, that's a big deal. So how do you get your sexual needs met? Or if you're, if you're not going to, so if you say, okay, well, I'm not going to be in a sexual relationship, how do you get your intimacy needs met in a way that, that is nurturing and sustaining and uh, doesn't default into some sort of uh, perverted expression? Which, and, and, you know, unless you've got a model and that in my experience you know i haven't we haven't said this in the in this interview but having been a a pastor and and spent uh, years in the church trying to uh, disembody myself i suppose <laughs> trying to get it, trying to get the lust of the flesh out of the system <laughs> that's um, an interesting way of saying it yeah. yeah well it was a way that was kind of presented you know that uh, that that stuff is evil uh, it's and um, you know get married quick, lest you uh, happen to have a an affair outside the bounds of matrimony, bands of matrimony. So it, we don't. My my point is that the church, uh, Christian church, typically today in this society, at least what I grew up with, doesn't know what to do with the body. We're uncomfortable with. Uh, the whole, you know, we never said the word sex, my God. And I, I never preached a sermon about sex. I barely used the word in, in marriage counseling. Um, this is all so, so uncomfortable. And uh, so I've, you know, my growth has been to get my way out of that and, and learn healthy, wholesome ways. And the rest of the 
you know, a whole bunch of the religious community stays trapped in that um, that dualistic notion of, you know, spirit versus flesh or spirit versus body or whatever. Right. And that's so true. And that's the reason why it happens, the, the sexual abuse. I never heard about this person. I just, for the first time, you sent me the material and I read John Varnier. Who was he and why were you so intrigued by his story? Yes. Uh, well, he founded the Larsh Institute, which is a, a, a specific model of working with people with disabilities. And it's worldwide. And there, there, there's, um, I think, probably hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of homes. And, and I've had uh, dealings with his uh, the homes that he established over the years. And, and at a time was interested in, in, because it's, sorry, interested in engaging in one of the communities personally, because they are community-based uh, people with, with uh, normal level functioning skills living on an equal basis with people with disabilities. So it's a beautiful model, and he is a very charismatic individual. Uh, and as he, so he just died last year, and then what starts to surface is these uh, women who he's had an abusive sexual relationship with. Now, um, the reason why I called it, as, why I relate to spiritual abuse in that sense is because, I mean, there's, there's one thing to have sort of like the, 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 the clock, well, it's tough stuff to talk about. Yeah. Uh, the clutch, clutch and grab stuff that goes on. Um, right, right. And, uh, and that's in the news all the time. Uh, of course, you have you know, Harvey Weinstein and you've got uh, yeah. uh, President Trump even and then and, 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 uh, Epstein. And anyway, the, and the whole Me Too thing. So there's wherever, there's just this kind of this brute force. I've got the money. I've got the power. You're a good-looking woman and, and allow me to take advantage of the situation. So there's that business that goes on all the time and that gets settled, settled in law courts or whatever. But then there's this other stuff which, which is far more subtle, far more sensitive, a fellow who's gentle, caring, but doesn't make the differentiation between what is healthy spiritual sexuality or sensuality and what is meeting his own needs for intimacy uh, in that moment, irrespective of what is helping the other verse, person. Now, he, the thing is, he, again, very intelligent man, would have thought that. And that's what he told the people, that this is actually helping them grow as people. But uh, it became deeply damaging uh, to a large part because, I mean, they took him as a spiritual guide and authority. So what happens in the, when, you're, when you get abused by a priest, which is, which is far more serious than just getting abused by your boss, for example, is you open your soul and your spirit to the priest or the church, give them some authority and you, you make yourself especially vulnerable. And when they take advantage of that vulnerability, it's crippling. Wow. Um, and for those who don't know, you speak the way you do because you have, unfortunately, the experience of sexual abuse. And um, wow. You wrote about the components in the cycle of abuse. Talk to me about some, some of them and what can we do about it to, av to avoid abuse in general, physical and spiritual? We talked a bit about, uh, I mean, you already asked me this question about uh, the difference between spiritual and religious. Yeah. And uh, as I said, there's room for the spiritual person inside of religion but they have to be strong enough to claim their personal authority. And um, God, I'm, here I am. I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're great, Aiden. <laughs> uh, the, um, and, and see, uh, Valeria, that's, it's holding on to your own sense of self, a solid sense of self in the midst of that. Uh, of course, you're not isolated and, and you're not... Uh, trying to recreate the world. I mean, you're living in context and you're living in response to other people and community. But uh, there has to, you have to find a way that says, this is who I am and I'm not going to surrender this to someone else. Mm. And when it comes to sexuality, I mean, it's, it's, there's a real, uh, the real challenge there because 
a whole lot of the modeling we have of, of about sexuality is that it, it is about surrendering, at least from the uh, the woman's uh, perspective, female side. Uh, and the male side, unfortunately, uh, is about dominance. Mm-hmm. And how do we, so it becomes this, uh, this battleground, uh, this power over, power under, um, and uh, we, we don't have a model of what it means to come together. Uh, and a kind of a mutual uh, mutual basis, subject to subject, with with no agenda. Now that's that's easier. To, it's far easier to say when you're my age. Than <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're young, you know, and the hormones are raising and stuff. I mean, God, racing. There's there's real agenda there. And, and, yeah. But um, as I get older, I'm I'm able uh, able to separate myself away from that and say and and get a deeper sense of where is the other person right now and uh where is their energy where what will nurture us what will feed the in between uh what creates love in this situation rather than i've got a need and you're the closest one to me so let's uh take care of that right now you know which is some unfortunately a model out there, but having uh, the one other thing I wanted to mention was that, um, as somebody has said, the the best correction for the bad is to model a good. And um, I mean, I've been through layers and layers of uh, therapy, uh, which what they come back to though is that it's it's ultimately body based. The memories are in our body, and uh, they have to be exercised in some way or another. Uh, but the best I found the best way to do that is by practicing a better or practicing the good. And as I've uh, referenced often about uh, dancing tango, I mean that just put me, you know, right on the floor, <laughs> right on the stage. Here I've got a, you know, hold on to a woman whom I don't know in close embrace, and learn how to interpret this dance that we're doing uh, in a way that's. Uh, co-creative, that's mutually affirming, that's attentive, gentle, responsive, uh, listening to the other person, uh, attuned, and and to, to go with that, to dance with that, rather than what is, for example, the uh, the stage uh, persona of of tango, the the man trying to the old man typically trying to seduce a young woman with you know, and he's he's in a three piece suit with a tie, and she's got next to nothing on and, and, you know, and slid up to her waist and stuff. So I always forget your question by the time I get to the end of the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you addressed a part of it on the um, what to do. And I like when you mentioned self-knowledge, self-awareness, just holding on to knowing who you are and not with those words, you use different ones. But that resonated because the more we get to know ourselves, then, yeah, the more self-respect what we have so other people don't come and and try to teach us how to live our lives or what values our values might be. And I also like honesty. I think if we've been practicing self-awareness and self-knowledge, then you tend to be more honest and then just express your feelings, talk to people, communicate with them rather than trying to seduce them or manipulate them. Yes, and... uh Valeria, having read your story, of course, uh, I mean, you have spent a lot, a lot of time in, in body awareness and uh, focusing on that. It, but it's a, it's a place where we don't go typically as a culture. We, and and we, as, as men, we learn to inhabit our bodies as our power place. So where we conquer the world or where we fight or where we uh, um, make our demands or where we're greedy or uh, so we've got these uh, extreme uh, aggressive models uh, or the reverse is we sit in the couch and watch TV. So, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's nothing, you know, I go to yoga class, for example, you know, typically, and, and I'm, of course, the only man with, with 12 women or whatever, you know, I mean, all the self-aware stuff, awareness stuff, the women do it, the men don't. And uh, I go to, you know, I'm in a writing group and uh, there's six women and one man. I mean, I'm in so, uh, social services as a, as a social worker and uh, I'm one of two men in an office of 25 women. So, you know, that we, we miss that. As men, we, 
we don't get encouragement or support in learning how to to come home to ourselves, uh, to be gentle with ourselves, and only if we learn how to uh, be gentle with ourselves uh, can we be gentle with our partner. So true. I'm wondering why is that, Aiden? It's more difficult for men. Is that because it's a men's world? Well, we, we've really been sold this bit about uh, power and uh, dominating and uh, success and achievement. And and it's really a, I mean, an, a, a greed-based approach you know, to, to take and to use and, uh, to, you know, and, um, we've not taught how to live alongside something else in a gentle way that allows for uh, ourselves and the other to flourish. You know, whether it's forests, you know, or the earth or water or people, um, we don't, we don't learn a, a model. Now, some of it's through, um, it was intentional in the sense that you get people, uh, we learn a lot from war, for example, and of course that's, none of that's good. None of that's healthy. We all come back with PTSD and, and we act out on, on other people as we've, you know, as we've learned that. We learn a model of, um, I can speak of this personally, uh, vulnerability and intimacy, of course, are, go hand in hand. But as a man, in, in terms of my training, some instinctual reactions is that when I come up against, I've, I've come up against somebody who's vulnerable, my first instinct is to attack. Mm, wow. And uh, I, I'm aware enough now that when it, if it surfaces, I recognize it. Wait a minute. Uh, sometimes it's too late. Sometimes I make a crude or rude comment first. And then I have to back, you know, but I... I uh, I recognize and I have to back off or something, but uh, it's so instinctual. And, and I think it's in part because when we were vulnerable as children, we got uh, taken advantage of. I, I, I have some family members that uh, I have to be on my guard all the time because as soon as I let down my guard, they're, they're just going to kick me. You know, they're just, if I, if I let anything out, uh, it's an opportunity for somebody else to exert their dominance and, um, yeah, so we learn that and we act it out and and on it goes. Wow. But then when you say instincts, that makes me think about um, being natural because we talked about sexuality that's very much natural for the body to act in such a way in desire. And mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. might be yeah, very much part of the, the physical structure. Then I'm thinking here, how can we change that and replace instincts with intuition, perhaps, and spirituality? And this is where it's so important, the work mm-hmm. that you are doing, which is combining mm-hmm. spirituality, sensuality, and, and sexuality. Well, we have to learn it. So you're right. I mean, there are the, the instincts. And, and so we have, but we have to grow up with a model that... Um, teaches us that the world is not there for our taking or for our using. And the people that are around us are not there as objects uh, for our desires or, or to be used or whatever. Now, it relates to spirituality uh, in that, um, in my mind anyway, that we need to approach every person we meet as a, an expression of the divine. Uh, so with reverence. Uh, so, uh, and some traditions, you know, like the, who is it that, uh, I thought it was the Japanese, and maybe it's the Japanese, but you know, they give the head and the, um, or the, um, in yoga, you say namaste, for example, the divine in me acknowledges the divine in you. And to approach every person that we see in that way. So, I don't care whether I think they're drop-dead gorgeous and they'd be great in bed. It doesn't matter. It does, I mean, that does not give me any right whatsoever to uh, make a, an unwelcome move or advancement on that person. So uh, they stand in their own uh, sacredness and I stand in my sacredness and, and we come to, we, we, we bring an awareness of how that, how we might connect and it, it, I mean, it might be sexually, it might not be, it could be, could be nothing, could be, could be a, a coffee and a quiet conversation, could be a dance on the dance floor, um, could be, um, you know, working together in an office, I don't know. But my experience, which 
again has to in part to do with the fact that I that I had se- uh, was sexually abused as a child. It it, it gets your the part of uh, trauma is that it uh, focuses you or affixates you on a particular uh, uh, mindset. It might be a, you might acknowledge it as being a problem, but nonetheless you always come back to the scene of the crime. Is kind of how it how it works. So um, my first default. Less and less as I get older, and as I work with it more, is but, whoa, uh, you know, this is a this is a great opportunity or invitation for sex, and it wouldn't be, of course, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. but it was but, an opportunity yeah. or invitation to something else, and that's what I'd learned to discern was what is the, what is the invitation here, where is the connection, what's the openness, uh, how do we move, how do we meet together. Subject to subject, mm. in a way that that feeds the in between. Whatever that in between is, we have no idea what it is when we come together. Um, I experience it so uh, vividly in in dancing. So uh, dancing a tango, and I can dance totally in myself, totally self-absorbed. What's my next move? Do I look good? Am I fancy enough? Am I getting the step right? Whatever. Or I can be on my 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 partner. You know, she's not following my lead. I mean, the klutz, you know, doesn't she know anything? Whatever. But um, <laughs> if we come together as equal, subject to subject, what happens is there's a, a, an inner reality, an in-between reality, the dance that is created. And, and at the end, we just stand back and look at each other and what was that? Where did that come from? That's amazing. So it was this creation. Anyway, the that we have that opportunity everywhere at every moment whenever we meet somebody. We say, what's the invitation here to to experience divinity? And yeah, I mean, there might be a, might be a mindset that it should be one thing and not another, but we have to we have to let the moment speak for itself. Wow. I love that. I absolutely love when you say, we use the words um, openness, just the inspiration, the invitation. What's the moment trying to tell us? And how can we go from one uh, state of mind to a state of heart almost? Mm-hmm. I love, I love, oh, you said that really, really well. And I'm, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump on that because where I find this uh, sexual s- scripting the subjectifying, the uh, it comes is a mental model, and men are men do that really easily. In fact, that's our default. We see somebody walking down the see a woman walking down the street, and we objectify her instantly from across the street. We're already imagining things, and uh, you know we're making judgments. And she's fat, she's skinny, she's good looking, she's you know whatever. We make all those judgments. Now I envision this model. Of as two people come together, so let's say she crosses the street and walks towards me, and there's a there's a transition that we can invite or allow, which as the person comes closer, uh, to quote um, William Blake, when we see uh, see through our eyes, uh, so we don't see an object, then we see a subject coming to uh, to us, and the closer we get. The less the objectifying, or the more the objectifying disperses, and the more subject to subject uh, awareness we have, and um, that's the opportunity we have. But you're right; it's the mental model, and men men can switch from you know a touch on the shoulder to uh, in their mind to climbing in bed with somebody, and um, that's not the reality at all. So what we need to do is uh, we get out of our mind. Because a mental model is, is, is an absolute in black and white, and it's a dualistic, and it does not assist us in blending or, or merging with another person. Get our mind into our heart, which opens us up, uh, not only emotionally, but to the sense of the divinity with that person, uh, acknowledging the divinity in the other person, and then into our body, lastly... Where is this resonating with me physically? And it's not just uh, am I getting aroused or turned on, but is there comfort, discomfort? Is there uh, a closeness, a separation? Is and and our bodies are aware of so much on so many different levels. So you know, for example, we can FaceTime or whatever and see people at the at the other edge of the of the screen. That is not giving us the real, full human awareness and contact. But if we if we do that, if we get out of our mind first, into our heart, into our body, and we process it slowly, 
always checking it out with the other person. We'll, we'll, we won't fall into those traps of taking advantage of someone. And I agree. Yeah, it's interesting that you speak about men more than women. But I, I have met women, there are women around me who are, they are more in their minds and they act just like men would. <laughs> I mean, not so much. I'll let, yeah, and of course that can happen, right? But I know my daughter, when she was working through her sexual orientation, she's lesbian, but at the time she was, you know, as a teenager, she was asking a whole bunch of questions and uh, wasn't sure and whatnot. And uh, they were at a seminar about intimacy, intimacy, and uh, why the girlfriends had the boyfriends they did. And uh, the one girlfriend uh, said, because he stops when I say no. <laughs> so, God, wow. that's the best you'd expect from having a boyfriend that falls off you when you don't want it. So I kind of encouraged her to following her path. <laughs> wow. Uh, but not only in the sense of sexuality, you see women act in this way, being dominant in so many other ways, business or being the head of a family. That's right. You know, we make generalizations, uh, you know, uh, we generalize things or make generalizations yeah. around sex. And, of course, there's more differences between individuals, uh, individual women, than there is uh, commonalities. So, you know, absolutely, yeah, that happens. Yeah. So we're almost at the end of the interview. I wanted to ask you one more question. Movement as the foundation, as foundational for spiritual growth, and dance as more than a metaphor for the universe. I love that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, and you would know that. I mean, you come from such a strong dance background as well and being in your body. Yeah, but I, what I've been aware of and I've been involved in, in uh, lots of different varieties of therapy that you only get so far sitting on your butt mm -hmm. and you have to get up and act it out uh, in some way or another because uh, most of the memories, if we're talking trauma, I mean, they are in our body. I know my uh, traumatic memories, for example, aren't in my head. I don't have uh, memories but I have bodily reactions and uh, stuff that can send me flying, you know, if it surfaces. So, but but I, I came to me when I um, was with uh, another fellow doing a therapy model, and we don't want to get into the model particularly, but it did not shift for people psychologically or emotionally until they moved their bodies. And when they did that, then it would allow everything else to move. So going back to dance... First of all, the whole universe is in motion, and it's it's in a spiral motion. We're not just jetting out into the uh, you know far reaches of the universe, but we're spiraling. Everything is orbiting around and then spiraling outward. And and when you look at any part of nature, you see that uh, you know you see birds and and fish swim in schools, and and they're you know they're with this amazing motion that's happening, and that's way our insides work. And when we move our bodies in response to that, we allow the wisdom, that inner wisdom, that uh, to come out express itself, not only guide us but to align us with the motion of the universe as well. And uh, I mean that's. I mean, for example, personally, I always think, why, why aren't I back in church? Well, I'm not back in church because you're sitting on this pew for an hour. You know, <laughs> and, they, and every once in a while, you kneel down and you sit back up again. When people start moving with their bodies and, and allowing spirit mm -hmm. to, to, to flow through and give an expression, a whole person expression, mind, heart, and body, then it starts making a difference. Then we start becoming true spiritual beings. And that makes so much sense because you can see that even in people or even ourselves, myself, when I'm too much in my mind, the body becomes stiff, it's static. And then when I'm more in my heart, yeah. that's when I move. Even a house, I just start dancing for no reason. And yeah, that's interesting how the, you said the spirit dances. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What a great model. I love, love, love that idea <laughs> as a healing program. Right. Yes. What a wonderful, wonderful idea. Uh, okay, Would yeah. you like to add anything before I ask you my final questions, Aidan? 
Well, I just have so much respect for what you're doing and for what you've done too as well. And that because uh, most of the stuff you've done is has been body-based. And uh, so that really, if I were interviewing you, I would be asking <laughs> you questions about uh, what you learn in dance and, and what were your limits that you experienced when you, uh, you know, when you were in your, tra- your weight training programs and, and how that felt and how you came back to I'm going to say maybe a more balanced place for yourself, but you know, still what that looks like. So yeah, I would have those questions and, and that's why I enjoy talking oh, wow. to you. Um, me too. Maybe one day we'll set up an interview like that where you ask me questions, I ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I get to ask you fun. the questions. <laughs> Absolutely. So my last questions here yeah, are, yeah, totally. yeah, I'll ask you this one. I think I asked you before, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? I mean, I have the, the, the things that I abhor, the abusers I have known, I have, I've internalized a lot of it. And I've had to make conscious effort to, if not distill all that out of me, at least uh, be aware of it and work with it in a way that it doesn't harm others. So I absolutely have a potential to hurt other people. When I was... Um, when we had uh, when uh, children when when um, children came into our lives, my wife and I, it was an an instinct that arose in me that if I didn't go get healing and help quickly and learn to meet my intimacy needs in a in a more nurturing, responsible, deeper way because they weren't being met in my marriage, that I would be quite capable of uh, harming my children and. Um, so again, it wasn't clear to me at the time that that was the dynamic. But as I look back, I think, yeah, that's what it was. I realized. So I got the hell out of there. I mean, it cost me everything short term. You know, my uh, my job, my faith, my marriage, and and my close contact, uh, my um, full time uh, fathering with my kids. But I got was able to uh, work through all those other things, which, yeah, Valeria, I wasn't even aware at the time that they were there, but then they surfaced, right? And then I thought, oh, okay, this is what I, this is the work I need to do. So that, in a bit, is ongoing, not so much anymore. But at the time, that was tough learning process, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense too because I spoke to somebody I think last year about she was a psychologist about. People who are abused, they tend to abuse others. She said, hurt people, hurt people. (laughs) And that's true, isn't it? Yeah, That's what we talked earlier about, self-knowledge and self-awareness and this desire to just do better and and know more about ourselves that comes in. And spirituality, that helps so much in being in the heart more and practicing that. It's a practice anyway. It's a practice, yeah, and I, I know you've said this too before as, as well. Uh, the it, it's those um, dark times or or painful or uh, harmful experiences that serve as guideposts. Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, we either go back to them, we don't learn and we don't change, and we go back to them, we, they become our default, or we say, I will never go there again. And I will live my life in such a way that I never repeat those offenses and that I learn to relate to other people in a way that's wholesome and uh, clean and pure and, and honoring of their spirit. So I mean, we have those choices. Right. And uh, I think those, the bad things that have been in our past, they serve to remind us what is important in the present. Mm, yeah, if we are aware. And that has nothing to do with controlling the body and trying to control the sexual impulses, but just being aware enough to make better choices and just kind of transmuting that energy or those desires to something greater than us, like love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking. Uh, you can cut me off whenever. But no, that's exactly the that's exactly the point. And that's why spirituality comes into it, right? Because yeah. okay, what's the what's the paramount value or virtue in this moment? Uh, what's the real gift of this moment? And we work with that. Right. And we make choices based on that knowledge, yeah, yeah inner knowledge. Yeah. I love yes. that. Yeah. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? I love myself. I really do. <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know, I have a lot of uh, critical voices that surf on occasion. But what I love about myself is that um, 
I take the, take those little steps that we were talking about earlier. And, uh, you know, I come up to my computer in the morning and I write. And I, you know, a, a voice might say, you know, why are you bothering? Nobody's going to read this. Doesn't matter, whatever. And I said, no, no, it's me. It's what I want to say. It's what I want to express. So it's important. So it's those little actions of self-love. You know, the unconditionals, like the big picture, uh, all-encompassing, whatever. A lot of people talk about it, and I just I think that's so wonderful that they can have that experience and awareness. I just, I experience the little step-by-step thing when I make a good choice in terms of what I'm eating. Don't have an extra drink, or, I'm, or I write and I read and I, I don't watch it stupid uh, television show that's <laughs> going to pull me down rather than build me up. So those little things. So, Yeah, that's what I love about you too. Your commitment to, to follow your heart, to know your essence. Because once we, ha- we get to know the essence, then it's pure love. It's unconditional love. It's the most beautiful thing. It's impossible to make bad choices <laughs> from that place, from that space. Yeah, it has been, again, a genuine, I get the same feeling from last year, genuine, real, deep, meaningful, loving. Thank you so much for your presence, Satan, in the world. Valeria, you um, you just you create that opportunity and that invitation. So that's your gift to me. Thank you so very much. <laughs> Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your services, your programs, and future projects? Oh, thanks for asking. Uh, so my blog is uh, dancingwithpresence.com. Uh, I've written a book, uh, Trauma to Tango, Dancing Through the Shadows, which is available on Amazon. Uh, but all that information will be um, on uh, dancingwithpresence.com. Yeah, and I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. If anybody's ever up this way, uh, <laughs> look me up. And uh, I have a host of Monday Malonga when, when dancing is legal again, yeah, right. which it isn't, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have contact with anybody. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Aidan Dunnigan Vickrook, please visit his website, dancingwithpresence.com. more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.